there's a different kind of energy in the summer solstice and the winter solstice than there is in the spring equinox and the autumn equinox, right? And so those transitional periods, those transitional seasons of spring and autumn bring more balance and equality. They also bring us in alignment with the terrestrial chi. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. From the moment of conception all the way to your last breath, the Zheng Qi is like a compass that always points toward the true north of health. It guides our growth, regulates the hormones, it orchestrates digestion, and attends to the fluid physiology. Zheng Qi, it sets the cycles of sleep and waking, respiration, menstruation, and maturation. It's what the body leans on when it needs resilience. It's the foundation within which spirit intertwines. Zheng Qi is what gives you a vision of a potential in the midst of confusion. It allows you to recognize the upright in others as they reflect back to you something essential of yourself. It flows between the borders of potential and manifestation. It's the background, the matrix that gives structure to incarnated life. Zheng Qi is everything about you that is working correctly. It's present in illness. It's there at our death. It's that part of us that cannot be made ill. It straddles the potent interface between the probability stored in our Jing and actuality as we manifest that potential into the world through our choices and actions. Zhengxi is steadfast. You can feel its solidity when you write the character. It marries stability and motion with its horizontal, vertical, horizontal, vertical, horizontal strokes. It's translated as upright, proper. It means to correct or rectify. It's found in two character phrases like Beijing, true north, Zhengren, an upstanding person, and Gongzheng, literally public Zheng. That means just or fair. The Zheng is encountered when your patient slips into stillness on the treatment table. It's found in the pauses of spaciousness between breaths. It's the solution that comes to mind when you've given up looking for a solution. The Zheng has very little to do with ego, although ego would like to take credit for its influence. The Zheng Qi, it's utterly trustworthy. And while we don't guide it, we can rely on it for guidance. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. 
We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Meiwei.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code CHEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. The cycles and seasons of emergence, growth, maturation, and decline are the container within which our life unfolds. Time, rhythm, tempo, and pace are all part of how the natural world and the seasons unfold in their orderly and yet ever-varied way. In this conversation with Sherry Lee, we explore the tides of the Chinese season, see why the summer solstice is not the beginning of summer, but rather the dead middle, and how the 18 days at the end of each season is an opportunity to return to the earth phase and ground our experiences before moving into a new season. It's no mistake that the Chinese call the new year in the deep of winter's cold the Spring Festival. Let's get into this conversation on seasonal rhythms and flows. 
Sherry Lee, welcome to Geological. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure. It's a delight. We met each other through, I believe it was the Stems and Branches. Yeah, Deborah Wolf. Did that stuff blow your mind? Yeah, it constantly does. <laughs> I've taken a couple runs at Stems and Branches, and I come away with a headache and contusions and maybe even a concussion. It feels really complicated, doesn't it? It's a lot of numbers, a lot of patterns. A lot of numbers, a lot of patterns. Yeah. 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 I don't know what it is about Deborah. I'm not putting in a plug here. I'm just like speaking the truth. Deborah has some way of explaining it where I come away and if you ask me to say, what did you learn? I'd have a hard time saying it. But at the same time, I feel like I'm starting to get a glimpse of what might be there. Yeah, I think she's, um, I mean, just so brilliant, right? She packs so much information in such a short little window, especially with the series that you had posted. And it was a little dizzy. I mean, I had to re-listen several times. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> and I keep going back to it. And it's so different than I think where I started. Where did you start with Stems and Branches? Well, just more recently, really. I mean, there was always this knowledge, right, of it being in existence. But to actually think about it in practice, like not just in practice as a practitioner, but practice of life, right? And how we measure time and align ourselves. Like I think that my interest probably was sparked by Sharon Weizenbaum, actually. She, being in her GMP program and learning from her before that, was really opened my eyes to a different way of, of looking at the classics. The reason I bring this up, Number one, yes, yeah, stems and branches. I I remember hearing about it in my education. It's something that's there. And, and then I'd look at it and go, oh, God, too complicated. Like, just give me the punchline, which, of course, you can't do. Because as you said, it's about measuring and, and aligning ourselves with time. If you know how to measure it and conceive of it and kind of work with the flow, maybe even a little bit like surfing or skiing or hitting a bank shot on a pool table or something. You brought something in that class about the phase between the seasons. And uh, the characters in Chinese are uh, too young, literally earth use, like use the earth. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that Deborah talked about in the stems and branches, and we all know about this with the five phases, you can put the earth phase between fire and metal, or you can put the earth phase in the middle. In the middle. I in love it. In the middle. In the center. Yeah. In the center, right? We often talk about the earth as the center. And, and so you've got some thoughts and experience with this. I'm wondering how you came to it. Oh, <laughs> maybe a little embarrassing even. I went through school. There was such a focus on, you know, memorizing all the things, right? You had to get through to learn the information. It was all there, right? But then... Going back and rereading the Huangdi Neijing, mm. every chapter kept talking about the four seasons. And I was always, in my personal practice, I found it important to talk about the seasons and how to help people be in alignment with the seasons. But I never really understood the timing of the seasons. And when I started to reread the Huangdi Neijing, it's very clear. And I think through that, it just really opened my mind that I was 
working from the wrong calendar. <laughs> mm. I mean, today, being the summer solstice, we think of it, I would say if you, if you ask many people, they think it's the first day of summer. The solstice is the beginning of summer. Yes, we are recording this <laughs> on an auspicious moment, <laughs> moment of greatest yang here in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. And yes, according to the Western calendar, first day of summer. Yeah. But, so let me ask you this question. When did you first start noticing summer arriving this year, and what was it that you noticed? Oh, that's a really good question. I would say in the beginning of summer, no, it is the first couple of weeks of May. It seems early in the Midwest, right? We're seeing a lot of rain this year. It has been a cool, wet spring for sure. Yeah. I mean, you'd still start to see like the awakening around you, the growth around you. I think that in practice, what I find is interesting is when I'm aware of the two-week periods and the energy around those periods, and I say two weeks, but really it's, it's 15 days, it allows me to see similarities in people. And it allows me to like explain things, I think, to them in a way that is less unusual because a lot of people can relate to nature and the patterns we see in nature and the rhythms we see in nature. And so I always found it easier to talk to people in relationship to the elements, even though I didn't go to a five-element school. Because I hear people say this a lot, and I used to say it too. Well, I didn't go to a five-element school, so what do I know about it? I know a lot, and we all do, and here's the reason why. It is one of the deep underpinnings of Chinese medicine. There's not an acupuncturist out there who doesn't in some way have a relationship that they're cultivating right. with those resonances of those five phases. Right. Every single one of us. Yeah, it's interesting when we think about the 10 and the 12 and the five in relationship to the heaven. And I guess I never really thought about the dynamics as being heavenly. How does that change things for you when you consider that being a heavenly dynamic? What changes? Well, it changes a lot. I guess when I think even learning the right connection, right? When we are standing vertically, we're in alignment with celestial chi, right? The heavenly chi. And so I think of the connection of the yang coming down and our relationship then with it here. And then it, it also has to return back, right? It's a cycle. And so there's a different kind of energy in the summer solstice and the winter solstice than there is in the spring equinox and the autumn equinox, right? Oh, no kidding. Those transitional periods, those transitional seasons of spring and autumn bring more balance and equality. They also bring us in alignment with the terrestrial chi, which is more horizontal. Our awareness grows from our uprightness, right? And so our connection to spirit is really important, not only as beings, but as practitioners. I think that's my fascination with chapter eight, right? <laughs> the Ling Shu, the, the need to be in alignment with the heart. Tell me more about chapter eight. This season, I guess the thing that I really... I mean, here we are in the middle of summer, middle, not beginning, middle, yeah. Yeah, I love Elizabeth Rochelle de la Valle and I, gosh, her teachings on numerology and I think her book specifically rooted in spirit right? The heart of Chinese medicine. I tend to quote that a lot this season. 
and finding the alignment to spirit. And gosh, it's just fascinating, right? I mean, it gets to the meaning of life, the spark. Yeah. I don't know. Isn't that the ultimate question? It's a big question. I don't know about ultimate. Often I hear things about the spirit and this and that. I never know what to think about that. I grew up with one parent who was very religious and one who was not so religious. And so whenever I hear words like spirit, I get a little bit squirrely. Uh-huh. I get a little bit nervous. Yeah. Because there's this part of me that is a little resistant to it. And, there, and then there's this other part of me that asks in a very genuine, non-sarcastic way, well, just what the hell are we actually talking about here when we're talking about spirit? And then there's this very practical oriented aspect I have. How does that play out in this turbid earth realm mm-hmm. in which we live our lives? It's so interesting that you use the word turbid. Well, it says that in the classic. It does. The clear yang goes up and the turbid yin goes down. Yeah. And, and all you got to do is look around. I mean, it's a beautiful planet. Don't get me wrong. It's a gorgeous, magnificent, mysterious, phenomenal bit of turbid yin. I mean, all you got to do is look out anywhere, and there's turbidity all around us in our spirit, in our relationships. I can see the storm sewer out here, and I know there's like a poop sewer underneath it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's plenty of turbidness Mm -hmm. in this like dangerously beautiful world. I don't think it helps us to forget that. Right. I think what helps me is that the one becomes two becomes three, right? And the three... Becomes a big fat mess. (laughs) We are. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I mean, being the human in between, we are both. So our experience is both. But I think we often think that our, our existence is based in this realm of earthly yin turbidity. It's our form, but it's never separate, right? That makes sense to me at a certain philosophical level. And yet everywhere I look, unless I'm using the eyes of of perceiving unity, everything I see is polarity. Mm. It's easy to see the polarity. It's harder to see the unity. Unity is there, but it's the polarity that smacks us in the face. Right. Yes. It does. So there is that spirit piece. I think that's why the solstice smacks us in the face, right? It's the most extreme. Yeah, it's this realization. Aha. Now it is. (laughs) Right? Like it's so. (laughs) So what does the solstice bring up for you? Here we are in this. I mean, by the time y'all are listening to this, it will be, the light will have faded a bit. Today it's at its greatest source. What? How how does it sort of gobsmack you on a day like this? What goes on for you? Um, I think for me, really, it's the reminders of how to live in the right way. So when I'm thinking of this time, I'm thinking of rising early and getting my movement in the morning, of staying out of the midday heat, eating cooling foods, and reminding myself to rest if I need to in the midday because I might want to stay up a little later. Mm. And that's okay, right? But I think when I'm not in right rhythm, and I'm not necessarily obeying all of those (laughs) rules or following those rules, then I can feel myself out of relationship, right? Then I might be a little more agitated. I might be more bothered by the heat. I might not sleep so well. 
I don't know that it's always that direct, but I think generally speaking, right, the things that we are told will show up, show up. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that way. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I want to come back to what you had said just a few minutes ago about the year being divided into actually 15-day segments and and that they each have their unique flavor, their unique chi, their unique gift, probably their unique challenge as well. If if it's going to bring a gift, it's also going to bring a challenge. Mm -hmm. That's the way it works here in Turbidianville. (laughs) But I like to focus on the gift. Our patience will bring us the challenge. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something about when when you hold that as as a lens, as a perspective, not a rule, but a, a suggestion. Well, you'll often notice things with patients manifesting something similar. Mm-hmm. And I think I've noticed that kind of thing. I didn't tie it to that 15-day period. I just tied it to, huh, that's weird. It seems like there's a lot of XYZ going around right now. I've seen that. I've noticed that. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious now to go look at those incremental moments in the year. Yes. With a little bit more, not that I'm trying to overlay it on, on my patient's experience, but just to see how, that's, how people are expressing through that moment in time, that phase of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the classics state very clearly, right? The differences between what an okay practitioner, a good practitioner, an exceptional practitioner. Mm. Oh, the pressure they put on us. <laughs> is it them that's putting the pressure on or is it us? No, <laughs> I, think, I think we put it on ourselves. I think you're right. I think though what fascinated me in reading more about that and not just about I don't want it to be a good practitioner, but if I wanted to live a long, enjoyable life, right? I mean, I think we're familiar probably with Yangsheng practices, the nourishing life traditions. And this is also a very important part of that in keeping time. And when I learned about the 24 seasonal nodes, the Qi, then I learned about not only when the seasons begin, but where they peak. And then also learning, you had mentioned the earth period, the center period, then learning that those last 18 days before the turning of the new season denotes a time that we return to center, that we really take care of our earth. And in order to understand when those 18 days are, you have to understand when the beginnings of the seasons are. And so all of this, I think, was very much spinning in my mind. And I wanted to not only understand it better, but I wanted to have a bit of a roadmap Mm -hmm. that was what sparked me putting it all to pen and paper and making sketches of how I would see it. And many were taken from images that are already very much in in existence. But for me, it was like layering all of those rhythms, the, the 24 nodes, the balance of the yin and yang throughout the year, the separation of the four seasons, the further separation of the eight major nodes, and then to designate those earth periods as well. And I'll probably continue to layer upon that more because there's (laughs) always more, right? (laughs) Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. 
The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. If, if you look, there is more. <laughs> but understanding those, the energy of those 15-day periods, being that there's six periods per season, right? If we divide the year into four seasons, then that's six 15-day periods per season. Then we see a beginning of the change and a peaking or an equality, right, in the transitional periods. And then the coming back. So... When I think of the solstice, I think of it's the birth of yin. Yes. In, in the summer solstice, right? It's the birth of yin. And I, I think winter solstice, what's easy, we get really excited about the birth of yang. Like every day after is going to be a little bit brighter. In summer solstice, we, in our excitement of, oh, summer is here, we also have to understand that it's also leaving. I know my heart <laughs> sinks. I'm, I'm serious about this because I love the summer. I'm an, I'm an animal on the planet Earth. You know, summer's awesome. Winter, not so great. We hit the solstice and there's a little part of my heart that turns sad. Yeah. Every time. Even as a kid, before I had any thought of yin and yang and Chinese medicine, all that, I can remember as a kid getting to the, like the first day of summer and be like, oh, it's not over yet, but it's headed in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can feel it. You can feel that little turning. I think about the Chinese New Year. I spent a little time living overseas for a few years. Mm -hmm. And so the Chinese New Year is like serious business in Taiwan and China. Mm -hmm. It's the big event. Our Christmas, you know, that's their big thing. And they call it the Xinyan, the New Year, but they also call it Chunjie. They call it the Spring Festival. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little bit dense, and so it takes me, you know, a year or two to realize, wait a minute, like, spring festival, like, they actually say this is when spring is beginning. Yeah. And there's nothing that looked like spring at that point, except it was getting a bit lighter. And if you know these other ways of measuring time, then it's a way of saying the tide has changed. The tide is flowing in now. It's not flowing out. Mm-hmm. But usually there's kind of a slack tide between the tides. Maybe that's maybe that's the earth space that you were just talking about. I want to get into that more in a moment. But I, I just want to stay for a second with, with these rhythms that, that, that you're talking about. When I think about the Western calendar, it's like a 4-4 beat. And it like spring shows up when it's clearly spring. And summer shows up when it's clearly summer. But the Chinese calendar is like some kind of syncopated beat. 
is like beats within beats. Mm-hmm. You can hear the you can hear four, but you can hear the, the notes in between as well. So this year, on May the fourth, I can tell you the day precisely because I noticed it. I wasn't looking at the calendar. Mm-hmm. I was looking out in my backyard. I was sitting in the morning and doing some writing, and I looked out at the back lawn, which had been mowed two days before. And my first thought was, man, it's already getting kind of unruly and shaggy. And it was mowed two days before. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's what they're talking about. Summer began. Mm-hmm. That's how I saw it. Not because it was hot. Not because it was on a calendar. Two days of growth on the yard, on the lawn. And it's like, oh, it's already unruly. Look at that crazy flourishing. Mm-hmm. I think the I think the the signals are out there, if we're looking. And I'm wondering because you've spent more time attuning yourself to this. Are there like what indications do you notice with shifts of either a two week period or a, you know a larger nodal time? Are there things that come to mind for you? It's like oh yeah, there is that. I recognize that. That's it's like a milestone of sorts. Yeah, I mean, I think that more recently, especially with the additional humidity, right, and the that rise that we've been feeling with the heat, and maybe even a little bit of stagnation, I think, where people aren't here where I am anyway. There's there's a rise in moisture, and it's helping everything to flourish, which is great, right? Like we're our farmers markets are are really starting to explode. But without the consistency in the temperature, so we had a lot of cold days and drops in temperature where here it might drop 20 or 30 degrees in a day. You don't get the same, I guess, the same movement that you want in a summer period. And I think what I notice is more damp-like stagnation and people struggling with fatigue. And, and so... It's not always specific to a node period as much as it's paying attention to the climactic changes and shifts. And they usually align up pretty well. Like, I love that you shared the story of noticing the growth and it being symbolic because there is one node in particular. It's the awakening of the insects. And I was always drawn to the story of how Thunder needs to strike in order to awaken the insects. And so if it happens too soon, they come out too early. And if it happens too late, things are not in, I I suppose, I don't know, do they not come out? (laughs) I don't know. It's delayed, right? It's delayed. and, And if it's delayed, then that also means something in terms of the flow of yin and yang back and forth. Right. And I think, you know, when you start to add the layers of when we're talking about the stems and branches and you start to understand even the elemental energy of a year and how that might also influence whether we're seeing more water, for instance, in a water year. I think that there's a lot of ways that we can look at the story that's being created each year. <laughs> it's just one more. It's just one more piece of information. Mm-hmm. And some people like to also follow the lunar cycle, right? Which is very much a part of 
this calendar when we're looking at the seasonal nodes and the relationship to the lunar cycle, right? Because that begins based upon the first new moon in February. I think it's a second new moon after winter solstice. Is that how it goes? It's something like that. I believe you're right. It is measured by the moon, though. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's considered a solar lunar calendar. So I think what we're looking at right now, we're in the fifth moon of the year, but we consider this the sixth month of the year in June. On the Western calendar. Correct. Yes, but if we're talking that Eastern calendar, again, it's a syncopated rhythm. Now, do you find that there are any of these two-week nodes? I mean, you just mentioned the awakening of the insects. When, do, when is awakening of the insects? What is, what's that time frame on that? Do you remember? I think it's the second seasonal node after the beginning of spring. So, so it's fairly early on. I know here in St. Louis, I, mean, I, I make up my own little marks in the year. Mm-hmm. You, know, you live in a place and then you start to notice things. So one of the things that I notice is the season of the fireflies. Mm. They show up at the end of May. They should show up. They usually show up at the end of May. When they show up at the end of the May, at the end of May, they tend to be very profuse. My backyard is just a fireworks display of them. But if they show up later, there's not nearly as many of them. Hmm. I mean, I've just noticed that. So I'm I'm wondering if there are any little seasonal markers like this that you notice in your clinical work, whether it's from the Chinese calendar or your own experience of of living through the seasons, if there's certain seasonal moments that seem to larger than usual influence on, on your patients. Yeah. I think that I notice more during those earth phases. Even in class, I think when Deborah had made mention to the period of late summer. We often highlight that earth as a late summer and how some might find it difficult to transition from the summer into the autumn because it signals this need to let go. And maybe it's harder to move from yang into yin. (laughs) It goes kicking and screaming. Yeah, I think that's true for some. But I think what I notice in practice is the movement from yin to yang is just as, if not more, difficult. And I think what caused me to look into that further, too, is because I've seen it in clinical practice, but also I was curious. Like We think of the wintertime as being this dark, difficult time for people, whether it's the holidays, whether it's the darkness, that it can bring up all sorts of feelings and difficulties. But when we're making that transition from winter to spring, we really have to be able to break out. And I find that it's really difficult for people to break up and out. And I think we think it's exciting and new and we should emerge, but the heaviness of that earth period just before the beginning of spring, I think is especially difficult. And then again, 
between spring and summer, which I don't think that people always acknowledge. Like I see more, more stagnation and more anxiety and more, more difficulties around those periods. And I guess I try to understand it as when you're carrying a very heavy burden, I mean, how do you move your energy up and out, right? And it feels very oppressive. And I was also curious to like better understand it from a mental health perspective. Mm. And I started to kind of do some inquiries about, I mean, one thing that I I had looked into was the time of year with the highest suicide rates. And that's the month of April. And we think that people struggle in in the deepest, darkest times. But it's interesting because even the Western perspective doesn't quite understand why that is. And the thinking is, well, everyone's up and out. And maybe it is seasonal. They actually do put the season into consideration that people who are maybe struggling in their darkness then have a hard time coming out and they see others coming out and then that just makes life that much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Seeing the light in others makes your own darkness more deep. Yeah, but what if we saw it as that need to move the chi, mm. right? To release the stagnation, to decrease the heaviness in oneself, to help more light come in. So we have these four earth phases throughout mm-hmm. the year. And I was going to say, as I understand it, but I can't say that I really understand it because I've only recently begun to actually think about it. can't say I have any understanding at all. I've got a lot of inquiry around it, a lot of curiosity right now. Mm-hmm. You know, up until recently, it was like, oh, that's a nice idea, earth in the middle, and it, you know, everything goes through earth, and now you got a new season. But now I'm looking at it, and especially just hearing you talk about that transition from winter to spring the difficulty that some people have. I'm looking at these four moments in time throughout the year. Things come back to the center. We are winding up the business of one season. And the word unraveling comes to mind, but I don't know why. Maybe that's just my way of getting through things. When I've been fixed on something, I need to unravel a bit, and loosen up a bit to get to the next thing. That's just me personally. Mm-mm. When I'm thinking about this this earth phase as a moment, I'm going to say in between time. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there is something, a little something extra that's happening in the seasonal flow of chi that would help people with whatever kind of transformation they're in the midst of chewing on. Mm-hmm. Because it is a transformational moment. How do you see that working in your clinic? Or do you have ideas about using those moments in time in any kind of particular way in your clinical work? Yeah. I mean, I do. I make recommendations to really focus on the earth, focus on the digestion. So it might be just as simple as guiding someone on how the best times of of day to be eating and setting those rhythms, right? Because I think what earth loves, loves consistency, right? (laughs) 
Steady paycheck. So reminding people to bring them back within, like, I guess maybe back, even back into themselves. So sometimes I, I do think of the earth, that transition time of, of coming back to self and creating greater awareness and really trying to create rituals in your life that help to not only promote good digestion, but to, I guess, ease any constraint. Because as we know, like anything that's too variable can really throw us off. So yeah, I mean, I share tips on optimal digestion, chewing your food and skipping meals and so much of it is about the consistency. Mm. I love that you keep bringing up the space in between, right? Because that's so much of what we do. You know, we inhabit the spaces in between and that's where we needle, right? That's where we <laughs> we should be exactly going every day, right? And often our, our lives are measured in these major moments and we don't always think of all of those spaces in between. And... It just allows for more presence. You had mentioned, and this was in Deborah's class, that the, the Japanese pay much more attention to that earth seasonal space. I had learned about that earth space. I wasn't able to find, I guess, a name for that period. And I don't know why I, I became so interested in figuring that out, but... I did come across the name doyo in Japanese and some information about each one of those seasonal doyos and then very specific cultural practices that would surround those times. And so I thought, well, there's got to be more, right? <laughs> you know, and I think there probably is. It's just a matter of, of finding it. Now, the Japanese doyo that earth phase, mm -hmm. do they have the same practices for each one or do they have different practices for each of the four? I believe they're slightly different, but I think that they do involve, I think there's a little bit of, I guess what might be considered as like sort of superstition. And I know there is, I think an association with certain foods that, and I'm not sure have you come across this, that there's like a, I think, a ritual of eating eel? I, I don't know about the ritual of eating eel. I know that eating eel is delicious. <laughs> it is, it is. So there's that. Yes, yes, yeah. I would have to look into that. I mean, it's not something that I studied. It's just something that I thought, well, if this exists and there is all of these rituals around it, that there's a mention of it in the Huangdi Neijing, but most of what, what I've learned around earth and caring for earth has a lot to do with our habits and, and how we care for our digestion, how we care for our, our spleen. And, and so when I focus on that period, that's typically where I go, is more about keeping regularity in one's schedule and especially when it comes to better foods to be eating, right? Like mm. not eating too heavy or too spicy and all of the basics, right? Never hurts to go back to basics, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm wondering, you just brought up the word habits and speaking about earth and regularity, that all makes sense, that all fits. I'm wondering if there might be a little extra grease 
at that moment in the year if you want to like form a new habit. It's like there's something I've been wanting to do. I want to sit down and play my guitar every day. Mm-hmm. Right? Spend 20 minutes or whatever it is. I want to start a meditation practice, whatever. If those moments in the year might give you a little bit of a, a tailwind in making a shift. Mm. I don't know. I'm throwing it out as an inquiry. Yeah. I mean, most of what I throw out is <laughs> is a lot of that, right? Like a lot of contemplation. I don't know. That sounds, I think, you know, why not? Right? Like it's, that's like always a good time to start positive habits. I think of those times too as better times to maybe even be like, you know, like fasting or eating less, right? Like when we can mm. really take the burden off of ourselves. And so, yeah. That. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI. 2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. They might be potent moments for a little extra change. I don't know if that's true, but you know, it's something worth playing with over the course of a year or two and seeing what happens. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that's where I started a couple of years ago. And I just started to, I think, not only pay more attention and kind of put some of these these ideas into practice. And I've really enjoyed it. I've really noticed a difference, I think, in where where I am both personally and in my practice. It's grounded me in a new way, too. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's also allowed me to be a better conduit for this medicine. Well, we've got some hints about what's going on in the wider world. Yeah. By looking at those different two-week influences. I don't know about you. I don't know about other people. When I think of making a change or when I think of, of doing something, anything, it always seems so global and huge. And when it's global and huge, I end up throwing my hands up and going, why bother this is impossible. Mm-hmm. But when I can take something and time bind it in a way and go for the next 18 days, for the next 30 days, I mean, whatever, for the next two weeks, mm-hmm. for that matter, do this or attend to that mm-hmm. or take it as an opportunity to make a change I want to make or to 
maybe not make any changes. How about two weeks of contentment? What would that feel like? It seems manageable when things are time-bound. You know, I know I talk to patients sometimes about their diet, and it's really clear, you know, especially the folks where they go, my greatest pleasure in the world is the thing that makes my digestion the worst. That's a rough situation. Mm -hmm. And often I'll ask people to not give it up forever, but just give it up for a couple of weeks as an experiment. See how you feel. Mm -hmm. Not forever. Mm -hmm. Just a couple of weeks. And, and I love this idea. Wow, we got these 24 different nodes now that we can play with in inviting our patients into, into paying attention to something that, that's relevant to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it also it can influence how we share with them when it might not be a good time, mm. too. Like, I think, or if they're not living right with time. You know, I think that a lot of times we feel less comfortable in our physical bodies when we're not right with time. So if you're trying to live a young life in the middle of winter, that's going to be really hard. <laughs> and we see that. People don't slow down. They go, go, go. And I think even, even now in the peak of summer, we still have to be careful to remind ourselves to, to rest and take breaks, to not burn ourselves out. Because it's so easy to want to be out and going and flowing with the energy. And the days are long, right? And, and we're gardening and we're outside and we're enjoying all the sun. It can get very exhausting very quickly. And I think that can also, you know, just that reminder of it's okay to slow down. I think people need that. And I think that my approach to, I guess, if you want to call nu nutrition or, or food therapy, right, is more, I find that getting people in, in right alignment helps them to crave the right things, mm. you know? And Tell me more about that. So I think in the beginnings of my practice, I used to do a lot of like purification, like not cleanses, but cutting out of, of like especially high allergen foods or foods that we know that are difficult to digest, things that might burden the spleen, right? And looking at setting parameters for people, <laughs> And I never felt those were very long lasting, right? And I think I've since started taking like the opposite approach of I'm not going to take anything away from you, but I might make suggestions of a few things you could add. Mm. And let's see what your body starts to desire. Let's help you realize what your body is even telling you. And I think that so often... We're so disconnected to that, that alignment, right, that this rhythm provides for us that we lose sight of those really, the really basic things, whether we're, you know, sleeping well or whether we've, some people don't even know if they've pooped that day. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like. There are people who are very out of touch with their digestion. Yes. Like, there I is think. that. <laughs> and I mean, so I. To even begin with somebody who is that out of touch with more rules and, and or more homework, be it, I think that, yeah, I just don't even start there anymore. Mm -hmm. So adding suggestions and advice, well-intended, well-crafted as it is, ends up being a burden to the spleen. 
It is. It is, isn't it? Isn't that ironic, right? Like we want to help so bad and we see so clearly what they need to do, but yet we really can only help them figure it out for themselves. Oh my God. Right. How often do I have to relearn that dang lesson? (laughs) I know it's hard. It really, I know. We have these great ideas and you know what? It doesn't mean anything. Right. Years ago, oh my God, this is like way before I was even considering Chinese medicine. I hadn't even had acupuncture. I was just living my life as a computer guy. I remember a boss of mine, good guy, mentor level, really good guy. And he'd say things like, well, you know, you may not like your manager, but you got to learn how to manage them. Yeah. Right? That's your job is to manage your manager. I'm like, what? Wait, isn't that the other? But And he'd say things like, oh God, now the thought's just going right on my head because I was just blabbermouth there. He would say, the best way to work with your manager is not tell them about your good idea. Let them think that your good idea is their good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you'll be able to go do what you want to do. You can do anything you want. You will be able to do anything you want as long as you can convince your manager that your good idea was their good idea. Yeah. Right? So sometimes when a patient says, maybe I should stop drinking three diet sodas every afternoon. Mm. I used to say things like, hey, good idea. But now I just go, huh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Right, right. I don't know. You could try it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see that a lot, right? This this questioning and then this is curiosity and they develop a need or a desire to know more. Mm. And I think that's important. Like, I think that's why this piece of being in alignment with with the four seasons is written about in every chapter, one through nine, right? Like, why wasn't that such a big part of, I guess, the the beginnings of my study? I, I don't know. I, I think it seems kind of silly now. <laughs> well, we had to learn about acupuncture points and diagnosis, and we had to pass a test. Right, right, right. Right. And we, you know, I think in school, we're, we're learning some stuff that's very downstream. But when we start looking at things like the stems and branches, leave that to the side because I'm just still too ignorant about that. But the seasonal flows, I'm starting to get my arms around. Mm-hmm. Once we start to look at that and understand the resonance of it, we're a little closer to the source code. Mm-hmm of what the medicine is. And so now you can look at different points that we might use. You can think about different diagnoses that we might see patients with. Mm -hmm. And, oh, it fits into those tidal flows of the year. I see that. You know, we're just talking about helping people change some habits, right? We have great ideas. Sorry, overburdens their spleen. They don't have room to consider that. But if they have appetite, to understand, or they have desire or appetite for change. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Right. They have to have appetites. Like, how's your appetite? Well, I don't like making any changes. I'm just kind of happy motoring along. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. appetite for life, not great. Yeah. That's an issue. Yeah, it is. It is. I think that's also the, the magic of acupuncture that sometimes gets overlooked is this this bringing back to oneself that it does, that it provides this awareness, right? And when you release all of that, you get the flow going, right? Like you need to get the flow going. 
Yes, and it's their work, not our work. Yeah. Well, I think, too, that ties a little bit back into that connection to spirit, right? Because, Mm. you know, it is the yin turbid and the clear, but it's also the form and the function. And so when we're looking at moving and creating flow, we're working with the function. We're working with the yang and how the yang circulates within the body. And where it's not moving, we don't have life. Like that's, that's our, that's life. (laughs) So I think keeping that moving keeps us in alignment and more alignment, I think, too, with our vertical axis. It's funny, the more cosmological aspects of Chinese medicine. I remember early on, people would talk about it and I'd just roll my eyes like, I don't know, who knows, like, just tell me what points to use to help this person feel better. Yeah. And as time has gone on, and I realized that they're actually the one doing the work, and if I'm listening closely enough, they'll tell me what they need, and then maybe I can help them. I remember there's a line, and I'm going to slaughter it, and I should be able to tell you what number it is, but I can't. It's from the Tao Te Ching, and it's about the best rulers. It's about the best kinds of governing officials. And the highest are those that have such a light touch that when something is done, the people say, we did it ourselves." Yes. It's not the top down, we're going to tell you what to do, or the top down, we got the answer for you. You all listen up or off to re-education camps you go. No, mm-hmm. the best rulers are the ones that have such a light touch that people say, we did this ourselves." I think it's true with our patients. I think so too. I think I, I know exactly the line. And I, yeah, I couldn't agree more, really. And isn't that kind of the secret of life, right? Like in, in being a good leader is your, <laughs> I shouldn't, maybe shouldn't say secret of life, but the secret of being a good leader is, is that you don't need to be, to be recognized, right? Like that's, you, you lead by example and allow people to, to be them, their best selves, help them to be their best selves. So it's, it is not a secret. <laughs> it's in the Tao Te Ching, and, and I suspect it's in a lot of management books as well. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's no secret. Getting out of the way to allow that to happen, that can be a little trickier. Egos like to uh, take credit for everything. Yeah. Except that which didn't go well. I'll take credit for what goes well. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard place to work from, I think, especially in, I don't know, acupuncture, I think, is very forgiving. I you know, when I was working with students, I would always tell them like, well, it's really hard to give a bad acupuncture treatment because <laughs> essentially we're just trying to create flow. And I think that in the beginning, there's just so much pressure on getting it just right that then we really lose focus of what's most important and just being present. Mm. And sometimes even just following that knowing how that's not from our thinking mind, right? Like that thinking mind just, it messes with us a lot. (laughs) So we're actually back to earth here. Yeah. Because the E, the spirit of the spleen, the E, the thinking, cognating, planning, Mm -hmm. understanding, that's earth. Yes. It's 
our greatest strength and our biggest obstacle. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it. I think of that that imbalance as a you know a big swampy mess, right? Like it's just hard to get through. And the less that we're dealing with that, then I think the clearer we can see. We need a little bit of fluid. We need the right amount of fluid. Mm-hmm. Balance is a funny thing. It's a it's ever-changing kaleidoscopic sort of thing. Yeah. And I really appreciate your point in particular about so much of this is being present to our patients, following what what's present for them. Mm-hmm. It's a practice worth cultivating. Yeah, and it is a practice, isn't it? I think you're right. In my experience, it's been a practice. Mm -hmm. It's something I will get a glimpse of, and sometimes I have a handle on it, and then it slips off. And it's not something that you just nail it down. It's like, okay, I got that nailed down. Now now I know what to do. Mm -hmm. That always works. Well, the world's always changing. You know, again, I I appreciate your perspective on the flow of time through the Chinese year, and and that we that we measure time and we align ourselves to it. I suspect a lot of our practice is aligning ourselves to what our patients are showing up with. Yeah, I mean, being in alignment ourselves and then helping them understand that, I think, is is really important. But I think getting out of our own way sometimes. I mean, there's nothing worse in practice than feeling like you know exactly what you need to do and then thinking about it. (laughs) You know, and then you think about it and you're like, wait a second. Yeah, nothing gets in the way more than that, right? (laughs) Well, it gives us something to do with our days, that's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Any suggestions that you have, especially for students or maybe new practitioners? You're talking about there's so much pressure to get it right that we can really lose ourselves in in pursuing an end when it's really our job to cultivate a means. Any suggestions for newer practitioners on practices or things they can do to uh, move through that developmental phase? Yeah, I think, I guess what I wish I would have known is maybe even just having a little bit of a better grasp on some of these concepts and how I could cultivate my own personal practice. I think that that's so important. When we're Going through school, I think it can be so overwhelming. And I think certain programs do incorporate these styles of practices, the Tai Chi and Qigong. And and as much as you can make space for that in your own life, I think is is important. I think that we're always in a state of transformation. And so honoring that is, is also really important, too, because I think sometimes... We feel we know things for certain, whether that be about ourselves or about the people that we're working with. And every day is something different, right? And I think that's kind of the reminder of the notes for me, too, is that we're all moving. Everything is transforming. And we need to kind of catch, like, ride that wave, right? And then respect that others, too. I think in practice, that's it's easy to feel like you captured a diagnosis and now you're going to do your 10 or 12 treatments based on that one (laughs) single diagnosis. And every time I see a person, I'm seeing something different. And every time I meet with them, I'm learning something new. 
I often ask my patients, how are you? And then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how are you today? How are you at this moment? Just to keep myself on track. Yes. Yeah. And that seems a little less overwhelming than having to process someone's whole life history, especially when it comes to their whole life health history. Yeah. And we think we're supposed to do that. Yeah. And then put our hands on their pulse and look at their tongue and like, oh yeah, I know everything I need to know about you. Yeah. It's this amazing image that we have. There are moments when that happens, but I think a lot of us do labor under the illusion that we're supposed to have that all the time. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit of hubris. I mean, there's those stories of like, well, the great court doctor couldn't touch a woman's pulse because, you know, it was the king's concubine. So they just would touch a thread and now they know everything they need to know to treat. Some of the stories that we tell ourselves about our medicine, maybe not so helpful. I think in the beginning, especially because there, it, it can feel so overwhelming. And, and maybe I'm just also projecting the pressure that I see that students kind of put themselves under. And I think it all comes through in time, right? Like, I mean, I'm constantly revisiting and learning, and I think that that's part of the practice. And I think to go back on what I said about, like, the acupuncture moving the chi, like, you know now that, I mean, you can use one point and cause profound change in a person, right? Like, it's a powerful medicine that definitely, I think, requires a lot of respect. I also think that there's a lot of growth that happens from the beginning. And That's why it takes a long time to grow into being a Chinese medicine practitioner. Oh, gosh. A lifetime. Yeah, it's a lifetime project. Yeah, it is. It is. And it changes with time. I mean, we all have our own seasons yes. in practice. So there's that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to uh, start cottoning more to the two-week seasonal influences and uh, and especially pay some attention to that earth phase. I really thank you for today's conversation. It's it's given me a lot to consider. Something like stems and branches or aging, it's like, oh my God, that's like way out of my wheelhouse. I don't know if I have the mental firepower for that, but tracking the seasons. Mm-hmm. I think I'm capable of that. I can do that. Yeah. I think it's good to pay attention. <laughs> I think it's good to pay attention. All right. I think that's a good place to put a pin in it for today. It's good to pay attention. Good to pay attention. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Sherry, thank you so much. This has been delightful and you've given me a lot to think about. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate your time, Michael. This is yeah, such a pleasure. I've listened to your conversations for years. So being a part of one is definitely unique. And yes, thank you. Well, thanks for making the time. This to me is the best part of the Geological Podcast, the opportunity to talk with just plain old regular practitioners that are just busy in their clinic. We don't get a chance to hear from each other mm-hmm. that often. Yeah, yeah. You know, most of us are not out with the big social media thing. We're not teaching classes. We're just doing our thing. We're just taking our inquiries day by day, moment by moment, patient by patient. And so you're taking a little time out of your day to share what you do with us. Well, thank you, Michael. It's taken me a while to wrap my head around the Chinese calendar, especially the way it slices up the seasons. I'm not sure why it's taken so long, other than 
whatever system of time we grew up with naturally becomes our default way of looking at the world. But I'm starting to get it, that there are turns of the season that begin in the dark, so to speak. Just like we know that high noon is the birth of yin, even though you can't see it yet. Two-week slices of time, that seems manageable, and opportunity to observe how nature responds to the ebb of one season and the rising of another. And the thing that I most take away from today's conversation is that four times a year, we have 18 days to ground ourselves, taking what we can from having lived through a season and letting go of what's not useful as we transition into the next. Four opportunities a year to pause, sort, and release. It seems like a helpful practice, and I'm wondering if there might be a little extra juice in those times for helping our patients make changes in the places where they feel stuck. What do you think? What comes to mind when you consider Earth in the Middle? And what might that mean for your practice? Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.